Hello there! It's not Thursday, it's Friday because we've moved the day of this. And welcome once again to the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the wrestler with no name, Conrad. With me as always, Austin 316s, as he just looked your ass, it's Anthony James. I'm back! Here I am. There he is. Eric Bischoff's theme music. If you are already feeling snowed under by references you don't understand, I apologise because it's only going to get worse from here, folks. We're here to talk about wrestling. It's not as bad as it could have been, Conrad. When you were saying what your name was, I was about to go, it doesn't matter what your name yeah, is. We'll have to try and get at least one it doesn't matter in uh, in this episode. <laughs> um, so for those of you who are perhaps new to the show or um, didn't listen last week, uh, we are doing wrestling movies uh this week because wrestlemania is coming up and although anthony and i are kind of i suppose i describe us as like erstwhile wrestling fans like we we sort of keep our keep our noses in but don't really sort of pay that much attention apart from when exciting stuff sounds like it's happening i i yeah i think probably once every two years i'll go through like two or three months of watching everything yeah and then and then i'll shift back in and just read yeah that, stuff that's that. absolutely what i do as well like, i'm actually in the middle of one of those at the moment like i've been going pretty hard oh, yeah, on okay. it and then i know what's going to happen something's going to piss me off and i'll be like well i'm done with that for the next two years and i'll dip my toe back <laughs> in but we're, we're striking while the iron is hot here wrestlemania's coming up folks uh, there's uh, everyone's talking about it it's the talk of the town i couldn't even tell you where mm. wrestlemania is happening to be honest but we are here to talk about wrestling movies movies not m- movies with wrestlers in them movies kind of centered around the business of wrestling so yeah. to speak some re- some of the films do have wrestlers in them though yes that is true some of the films also have wrestlers in them it's it's going to be a whole thing um but yeah. and ironically ironically actually connor i was going to say a couple of the ones we're going to talk about are documentaries now if you're someone who's already starting thinking uh, am i going to listen on in this podcast well there are a couple of documentaries which if you don't know anything about the wrestling business listen to our reviews of these or chats about this these uh documentaries and these might be something you want to check out just to sort of get an idea of what the wrestling business yeah, is absolutely. even if you don't care about the actual movie movies we're talking about yeah like so the the documentaries we're going to discuss here i would put up against most other documentaries and say these are genuinely like really really compelling watching mm-hmm. um but yeah so without further ado let's talk about some wrestling movies let's do it wrestling movies we've just told you that we're going to talk about them if you haven't switched off by now i don't know what you're doing you're in it you're in it for, you're in for the long haul thanks for sticking with us um so ding 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 yeah yeah the next <laughs> bout um i was i don't know what that was i was kind of doing like i thought i was going to do a mean gene oakland then and it sort of turned into a michael buffer about halfway through i don't know that it's it was a general yeah. announcer kind of voice um so right. I, I i've divided this up into kind of I suppose three sections. So I and they're not they're not that populated. I'm going to be honest. But so I've got documentaries, which is, is where I thought yep. we'd start because um, that's the that's the serious th- talk. that's the serious talk. Then then I've got um, based on real life wrestling wrestling movies, um, and then purely fictional wrestling movies. Um, okay. The based on real life wrestling movies, I have none for, but I'm sure I'll have heard of, if not seen the ones. Oh, you've got, you've about, got so. one. We've just talked about one off air. Oh yeah, of, <laughs> of course. Sorry, yeah. See, it was it was so mystical and magical of a movie that I forgot. It was yeah, based I mean, on real let's life. be honest. They took some fucking creative liberties with that <laughs> with that movie. Vince Vaughn does not work for the WWE. No, uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure The Rock wasn't friends with with Paige either, but. <laughs> 
we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, folks. But yes, the rocks <laughs> will be mentioned. Um, but so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off here. Um, we're gonna go chronologically, I guess, through these. Although there's only one year between these two, and 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 I would say these are probably yeah. the two, two. As I said uh, in the intro, two of the best documentaries I've ever seen. The first one is it was a made-for-TV documentary, which is actually really hard to get a hold of now. Um, fortunately, I own a DVD of it, and I think I might have bought this twice because I believe I gave you a copy of this DVD, and I don't know if you still have it or not. Um, I do still have it, I but I did not. Uh, get it down for this viewing. I'm going based on memory. Okay. Which so are you, but yours is a bit more recent memory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I haven't got it here off to the side, folks. This is all this is all off the dome piece. Um, this is all coming out of the memory. Yeah. So this is uh, this is Hitman Heart wrestling with shadows from 1998. Um, and and to briefly set the set up the the scene for this documentary, it's kind of like an unprecedented look um behind the scenes of the wwe or the wwf as it was at the time it's basically it's a documentary directed by a guy called paul jay and the documentary Mm -hmm. crew are following the kind of superhero bret hart who was my favorite wrestler when i was a kid um around his kind of last days in wwe at at the point that the documentary starts he doesn't actually know he's leaving but he knows he's in his 40s he's kind of getting to the point in his career where he's got maybe one big contract left in him and there's sort of stuff going on behind the scenes in the wwe um that Mm -hmm. is making him consider leaving there's like a big sort of tonal shift as a moving towards the attitude era so what were you going to say i was gonna say wwf at the time yeah sorry i'm, I'm gonna keep referring like we're, we're gonna mix our wwe's and wwf's here because it's gonna get it's just gonna happen but they though and for anyone who doesn't know it changed because world wildlife foundation sued them yes and they had they were they basically said okay we're gonna be wwe now um but <laughs> yeah. it was wwf for the first 14 or 15 years of my life so mm-hmm. i still will occasionally slip into it um yeah but basically i, I think in the late 90s vincent mann the, the, the guy who runs the wwe was basically he was letting people behind the scenes um because yeah. I, I think he was trying to capture that like kind of mtv uh, attitude era thing where you know it's like oh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do things we've never done before yeah. and show people what's going on in the wrestling business and i don't think he quite realized what was going to happen as a result of both this documentary and the one we'll talk about later because this this documentary is famous for capturing um one of the most infamous incident real life incidents in wrestling history which is um i I don't want to spoil too much but you kind of need to we kind of need to say this so that you understand why this documentary is so compelling uh what's called the montreal screw job where um i just want to break the uh, audience in on something connor before you explain this wrestling is scripted oh sure yeah it is scripted. So you need to know. You need to like. Don't sit here thinking these two jabronis are. Uh, we're not marked. Uh, got it in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, we're, that we're sitting here thinking that it's all real. Like the funniest thing it's ever. It's still real to up, me, damn it. Yeah, me as a thirty-year-old man. Someone comes comes up to me and goes, "You know what's fake, right?" I'm like, "Come on, like, what are you talking about?" So is oh, the, the Avengers, is really right, dead. sir? The Avengers is fake as well. Tony Stark isn't yeah. even real. Um, yeah, that's what I say. Have you ever seen a movie? Yeah. Um, yeah so. <laughs> But so it is scripted. Uh, you need to know that, yeah. and the wrestlers know what's going to happen at the end of a match before they start. Like, yeah, they know who's going to win. But I think, I mean, that's one of. The, I think personally, that there's two things I still find fascinating about wrestling. It's like the, the actual athleticism on display in the ring because it's almost like a kind of dance to get the fans invested, and you know the the, yeah. the, the crazy feats of athleticism uh, a lot of the wrestlers are capable of. And then there's the backstage element 
where like wrestling is scripted the winner is predetermined they're not actually well they're kind of hitting each other but they're not trying to hurt each other then there's this whole like politics behind the scenes which who's the top guy yeah who's yeah. the top guy who's kind of going to the boss and saying i'm not going to lose to this guy because he's coming up and i don't want to i don't want him to take my spot and all this uh, this kind of stuff and i love that stuff it's it's very kind of yeah it's it's very kind of like a sewing circle gossipy kind of stuff but i gotta admit i love it yeah because it's 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 interesting people wouldn't know this but even though it was all scripted and they choose who's in the main event and stuff the further you are up on the card like if you're in the main event you get paid more than everyone else yeah you know so it does matter where you are so if there's a young fella coming up who's or young woman coming up who's really good at good at what they're doing really entertains the crowd yeah then the people at the top are thinking, geez, I have to shit on them. Yeah, I've got to watch out for this guy because they're, they're, they're yeah. not taking my spot. And that, you know, the, the wrestling business is full of people, you know, like your Hulk Hogan's and even, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin's who were kind of, when they were at the top, they were a bit, they were pretty shitty. They was like, no, I'm not losing to this guy because they're, that that's the future and i'm not getting even if you're in your 40s and you're injured or whatever you're not giving up your space and um yeah. and this was the case with bret hart here so uh th- this this documentary crew is following bret hart around and about halfway through this documentary he gets given um this like unprecedented 20-year contract that's worth loads and loads of money um and wwe at this point was in like dire financial straits because wcw the, the rival company who don't exist anymore were, were beating them in the in uh the the monday night wars like two two uh monday night shows that went yeah t- the ratings wars for their shows on monday night mm-hmm. um and it became clear that wwe couldn't pay bret hart this contract and started kind of pushing him out almost um and there was a guy in the wwe along with bret hart called Shawn michaels who they did not get along with and Shawn michaels was famous for being like oh i'm ill i can't lose or you know i'm gonna drop the belt without losing it because i've injured myself and um bret hart really didn't like him and what what followed was the montreal screw job where bret hart was told one thing and then in the middle of the match um Vince McMahon, the owner of the company at ringside, called for the bell uh, and 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 basically told everyone that Bret Hart had lost his last match in the company and he lost the title. And that's captured live in this documentary, and it's absolutely insane. Yeah, because this is it's it's, it's a crazy occurrence, and it it sort of maybe comes across as something not as crazy as it is because you know people who aren't wrestling fans. But this is what you have to really. This is a strange thing, especially at this time. The belts weren't registered. You know, this is so strange. The setup. The belts aren't registered to the company. They're registered to like the wrestling federation or something like back then. Anyway, so if Bret Hart did, he was about to leave the company, yeah. and so if he if he didn't lose that match and if he still had the title, then he would technically have been able to take their title and go to a different company with that belt. Yeah, and he could have turned up on WCW TV with the title. And it's uh, it's this great... I, I, I love this kind of... like. So the theme of this documentary is kind of like the death of the hero in wrestling. And it really works because WWE was moving towards the Attitude Era at this point. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was obviously a bad guy. You know, he was flipping everyone off. He was giving everyone yeah. stunners, drinking beers, and the fans loved him for it. And Bret Hart was very much like, where's Pink? He's a good guy. You know, he's a classic babyface, a good guy, uh, basically. Yeah, he's, he's the best wrestler in the world. Yeah, and, and one of the best wrestlers in the world to boot. Uh, and he'd been with the WWE for, I think, like about 20 years at this point. And he was basically saying to them, look, I'm not going to take your belt and show up on, on another another show. I would never do that to you. Let me just lose on my own terms. I can't lose to Shawn Michaels in my last match in Montreal. 
Um, I, like, I, I won't lose to him in Canada. He's been shit to me throughout my entire career. Let me just lose on my own terms. Um, mm-hmm. And WWE, and and you basically capture all these people saying to him, "Yes, yes, that's fine. You know, we'll do. We, we respect your wishes. We'll do this thing." And then they capture them, completely lying to him and double crossing him. And and they've got full access to it. It's nuts. You know, you see Bret Hart spit in Vince McMahon's face after the match ends. Um, they capture. He punches him too, but yeah. I don't know if they capture. No, that. so they have they 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 ca- they basically follow Bret Hart into the locker room um, where he punches and knocks out Vince McMahon. And then you see they kind of do the, the old camera down at the side trick, and they see yeah, kind yeah. of like Vince McMahon kind of staggering out groggily. Um, it's it is nuts the access that this documentary had. Um, and it's it's just it's so compelling. It's it, it's a classic story of a of a good guy who is kind of being screwed over. Um, and, and, but there's lots of like kind of interesting little, I suppose almost they're, they're kind of little seeds for where the WWE would go in this. So you hear the phrase sports entertainment mentioned in this documentary, mm. which I didn't remember until I watched it again, and that wasn't the phrase that I thought I I didn't think they started using that using that phrase until way later, to be honest. Well, that's that's really interesting to me because this is actually just the dawn of the Attitude Era, really. Yeah. Um, when they're filming this, like Stone Cold wouldn't be the biggest guy yet, you know. Mm. So, like the way it's going, it's really interesting to me that they're already talking about sports entertainment because obviously later on, two thousand five, two thousand six, they sort of completely stop saying wrestling. Yeah. And it's all about it being sports entertainment. Um, but they hadn't even went through their yeah they hadn't gone through like their, their wild years exactly yeah so it's still you can see like the the, the 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 kind of kernel of that germinating even at this early stage even though they wouldn't kind of arrive at it as a sort of broad uh, company wide ethos for ten years um, after yeah. this um, I I also I have to say this movie is way funnier than I remember it being so that there's um the the which we'll we'll come back to this later but Bret Hart's dad is a guy called Stu Hart Stu who, Hart who is yeah. like this man who he, you know he looks fairly innocuous because he's probably in his eighties when this is filmed you know he's quite dumpy short guy but mm-hmm. he 80, he, yeah. he he has like the look of a serial killer in his eyes and he's a famous like shoot wrestler which basically means you know he can actually stretch you and hurt you and break your bones if you if he wants to and there's yeah. there's audio of it, like he famously has this thing called the Hart Family Dungeon where he trains everyone and there's audio <laughs> of him taking these two cocky young guys into the dungeon and then and then like stretching them and you just hear them screaming and it's like something out of one <laughs> yeah. of those true crime documentaries where it's like how did we not see the signs <laughs> yeah yeah it's like found footage yeah exactly <laughs> you can hear them like crying downstairs and he's just like have some dignity and like slapping them <laughs> but that's the thing about wrestling that's the thing about wrestling documentaries as well is you'll have all the wrestlers sitting there going he was a hard man you know and they're talking about this this guy who used to just go and torture people yeah. and they're like but that's the business, man. Yeah, that's I mean, the business. It's like no, that's terrible. Yeah, like the, the, like the way Bret Hart described. You know, I I I kind of approach this with you know a, a wry sense of humor now because it's just so ridiculous. But the way Bret Hart describes his relationship with his father, it's like that is abuse, Bret. What you're describing there is abuse. You know, he'd be like, my dad would like stretch us before we were allowed to eat for <laughs> for dinner and stuff. It's yeah, a Sue Hart. I wouldn't want him to be my dad. I'm gonna say that right now. Out of curiosity, I don't believe... I can't remember exactly, but is, are the cameras there whenever um, uh, Owen Hart dies? No, so Owen Hart died after 
this After was released. Left. Yeah, so I think I, I think Owen Hart died in nine. Uh, he died at Over the Edge, nineteen ninety nine. So Owen Hart was okay. Bret Hart's younger brother, and he fell from. He, he did, had a gimmick where he was like a, a a superhero who was taking the piss out of Hulk Hogan, basically, and he'd repel in from the rafters. Um, and uh, I think it Over the Edge ninety nine, which I think was halfway through the year or something. Uh, he died. He just didn't buckle in one time. Yeah. So I, I mean, that is, and people always kind of say this about wrestling, uh, not just documentaries, but old old school wrestling. You look at it, and it's like how many of these wrestlers are still alive because you know uh painkiller addictions and working through pain and and other yeah. other drugs and alcohol were so prevalent and this is a shocking example of that like there's there's a there's a moment where the whole kind of heart foundation his stable of uh of friends are gathered around it's like brian pillman he he would be dead within a year of this owen hart he would be dead within a year of this davy boy smith i think he lasted a couple of years uh jim neidhart i think died relatively recently. recently but but it was two still or three years ago he's still i mean he was still pretty young i think he was in his 60s when he died it's uh yeah mm-hmm. it is shocking wrestling was a hell of a business back in these days and and i think to be honest that kind of adds to the adds to brett's point that like he, his whole thing is like oh this is a business that would just chew you up and spit you out and you know yeah. he wanted to go out on his own terms and then when you, when you watch it now and you look at all these wrestlers who are you know dead it's like yeah he had a point um yeah you're you're right, Brett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As it t- and and you know he's been he's the one who's pushing for for unions for wrestlers now for exactly that reason. Um, oh yeah, because it's actually mental that re- the Supreme Court in America ruled that wrestlers who are contracted to um to companies like WWE are not employees; nope. they are independent contractors. Independent even though even though everything they do is described as an employee. Yep. Like, they so are they can't go work for someone else. Uh, they can't take independent bookings, They don't, but they don't get health care. And if they get injured, the, the company can just fire them <laughs> rather, yeah. than, rather than pay them where they can't work. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I think that seems to segue, that idea of the business chewing yeah. people up and spitting them out seems to segue yeah, yeah. quite nicely into another very famous documentary, uh, 1999's uh, Beyond the Mat, by Barry Blaustein. Um, Barry Blaustein. Barry Blaustein, yeah. And and as is often the case with any conversation that I have with someone when I'm telling them that I like wrestling, it starts with an apology for liking wrestling. <laughs> liking wrestling. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're going to yeah, call he, me an idiot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he starts off the documentary as if people watching it aren't going to be wrestling fans. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, as if he's going to break the barrier and everyone's going to know everything about wrestling because of his film. Yeah. But uh, like he, he starts off watching TV being like, I've always loved wrestling. As if like everyone watching it is going to be like, why is this guy watching wrestling? Yeah, what are we doing here, guys? I thought this was going to be about gymnastics. Um, yeah. But it's uh, this is a, a, another very intimate look behind the scenes. I, I mean, this one, you know, focuses... It's more of a, I guess you'd call it an ensemble cast. So it really focuses on... Focus on three different... Yeah, so, you, so you've got kind of um, a group of young guys kind of coming up. Uh, uh, Mick Foley or, or Mankind at this point, kind of in the at, at the peak of his career, um, and then Jake Roberts and Terry Funk, kind of at the end of yeah. their respective careers. I say at the end, Terry Funk, I think, is still working now. We'll get into that in a in a second. Um, but uh, but it's basically looking at the, the various stages of a wrestler's career, um, and it's uh, this is more made up of memorable moments for me so i i think the the one for me that always stands out is when darren drozdov who'd come to be known as uh, he, oh, he was a football geez. player um i think and, and he'd become to be known as a Droz, and he's basically 
uh, going for an interview with Vince McMahon, and and they decide because he can puke on command. Um, yeah, throw up on yeah, command. yeah, yeah, he can throw up on command. Vince McMahon decides that he's going to be a character called Puke who will vomit on the referee before each match, and and, and the way that Vince McMahon like seamlessly slips into like, oh, can you know, can you can you vomit for me to into into his? He's gonna puke like doing his like yeah. full on. He's gonna puke. He's gonna. Yeah, and it's just oh, it's it's unbelievable. And then he doesn't. No, then he doesn't, and he fails <laughs> to, and it's very very anticlimactic. Um, but yeah, Vince which, which, is great in this. Which is a really interesting, like, to be honest with you, this documentary, it starts with one of the only bits of levity uh, that the documentary has. Like, there there are a lot of moments in the documentary that I could, you know, you could laugh at. But this documentary is actually a really sad oh, yeah. view of, of, of these wrestlers' lives. Yeah. And you come out of it just thinking... I'm never going to be a wrestler. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. like the two the the two wrestlers that it focuses on, Terry Funk and Jake the Snake Roberts, the two older ones, they're sort of past their prime. Yeah. They're literally maybe I think Terry Funk's literally in his sixties when this was made. Yeah, and yeah. like and Jake the Snake's probably in his fifties, late fifties even probably. And they and they're sort of over the hill of their career, and they're not working for the big companies anymore. Mm. And they're literally going around getting a couple of hundred dollars for an appearance oh and wrestling, God, yeah. the, the... putting their bodies on the line, and like for for Terry Funk, it's it's very much a physical toll it's had on his body. Like yeah. the man can't even walk. Oh, that that scene with the, with the doctor yeah. where he's like, there's a scene with the doctor where the yeah. doctor's like, if you don't retire and get knee surgery, we're talking about chronic debilitating pain for the rest of your life. Um, you know, your 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 left knee's already gone, and he, and and then and, and Terry Funk is like, uh, oh well, let me let me tell you something. Like if I don't know, he doesn't say let me tell you something. That's me going to wrestling mode. He said, let me ask you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. Every sixty percent of all wrestling promos start with the phrase "Let me tell you something," normally followed by "Mean Gene." Um, yeah, he says, let me ask you something. If if I retire now, can I get around comfortably? And the doctor res- incredulously responds, "You shouldn't be able to get around comfortably now," <laughs> which implies yeah. that. Terry Funk is just a badass who puts up with chronic pain all the time. His body yeah. is just shattered at this point. So, so Terry is definitely the the physical toll on a body. Yeah. Whereas Jake the Snake, the mental anguish oh of that man. Yeah. It's 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 it, you're talking about like in uh, Wrestle with Shadows. It's like looking into a, a, a serial killer. Yeah. Like Stu Hart. I, I don't understand why how Jake the Snake Roberts isn't a serial killer. No. After watching this movie, yeah, he he like some of the stuff. I I think I have a I have a suspicion. I, I don't want to like cast aspersions about the man, but I think some people have questioned some of the stories that he tells in this. So there's the, there's a very famous scene in this where um so for those who don't know, Jake the Snake Roberts was a very big name in the eighties. Um, Terry Funk was more in the seventies and like not in WWE. So a lot of like kind of casual fans probably don't know who he was, but he was a very big deal as well. Um. But I think a lot of a movie we will talk about in a minute is kind of based off of Jake the Snake Roberts, like a guy who was yeah. a very big deal and is ch- like just chasing that dragon, trying to eke out every bit of fame and glory he can from a, a, a career that's way past its best. Um, and like the, going from the scene of him performing in some gym in, I don't even know where it is, somewhere snowy, it's probably like Minnesota or mm. something like that, with um, fans who... I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I don't want to speak ill of the people that they pick. All I'm gonna say is, I think Barry Blaustein very specifically picked the people that he put on camera in this movie to represent a certain subset of wrestling fans. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they're not the brightest 
of fans that you know they seem like nice people but they i i feel like there's there's a sort of a subliminal message being sent there by the director and the people that he chooses um and like you know that jay snake roberts is like walking around before his match in like tracksuit bottoms he's like pissing in a bucket that's just ne- like and he's just eating mcdonald's and taking a bunch of pills and then passing out on a table it's the grimmest shit and then and then you get these moments where he talks to the camera candidly about his experiences you know his uh, his stepfather who was like a father figure to him getting electrocuted in his in his i shouldn't laugh but it's like the the the, the number it's of things so, that he reels off are so... it keeps coming yeah. like i think even like i don't really want to say it in explicit terms but he's basically a a, a product of abuse yeah. as well like his mother was 13 years old whenever <clears throat> yeah. whenever he was born uh that's cr- even just that alone would be would be mental well, but, the- but then he starts he literally lists about 12 things yeah like you know one of his sisters is is like abducted and murdered and they never recover the body and then there's a yeah. scene after he says you know what what the the situation around his parentage is where he and his father just stand hitting rocks with hammers in his back garden it's a scene which i believe is completely set up for the purposes of this documentary which makes it even funnier like in a dark way because there's literally no point to what they're doing they're standing around hitting rocks in a garden like in with sledgehammers and not talking to each other for for what seems like 50 minutes and we've been told that he his father essentially like abused a 13 year old yes uh, you know, we all know the harsh word I'm, I don't want to use here because mm. I'm talking about a real case. Like, I don't want to, you know, I mean, um, but we all know this. And then five minutes later, we hear his father say, right, standing right next to him, he was he was born in, in love and I still love him now. Yeah, it's just holy shit like this is like <laughs> yeah as you say jake roberts is a messed up guy he seems like he's doing better now like god love him i hope ddp yeah the bad DDP. guy of ready to rumble saved him yeah 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 oh we'll get to that like <laughs> but um yeah i i don't know how he how he made it through a lot of this to be honest because he is um he is a wreck at this point you know he's smoking crack all the time he's trying to re-establish his relationship with his daughter who you know for a lot of wrestlers in the 80s they just never mm-hmm. saw their families because they were on the road you know 300 days a year Ooh, yeah. um and and failing spectacularly to be honest which is you know not that surprising but he's also like one of the funniest characters characters one of the funniest um people in in the movie so there's like you know Bit, like, after he does this show and this shit, he's not the funniest. I will no, say. he's not. I'll the, talk about the funniest in a minute. He's not the funniest. <laughs> I'll give you that. But like the, 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 the after he does his show in this shitty little town, and he's like, I could be. It goes on this diatribe about how he could be mayor there tomorrow, and they just like they execute the the real mayor and put him in power. And um and and when you like fu- he like they're on the road and he finds some chocolate on his jacket and he's just like, what the fuck is that? Is that chocolate? And like starts scratching at it in a <laughs> very funny way. Um. Yeah, I think um, the only the only other thing I mentioned about the old horses in this is that this is one of Terry Funk's many retirements. Uh, he would this oh, was yeah. the first one I believe he was working again within two years of this movie <laughs> coming out, and is still working now in into his eighties. I know. I think even in the credit roll it says he's yeah, still working. Yeah, that's right. By the time this movie releases, it was like Terry Funk's unretired already. So yeah. Um, Okay, so I said that Jake Snake Roberts isn't the funniest character. I'm sure you know who I'm going to say is. Uh, there is a former wrestler by the name of Dennis Stamp that appears in this uh, in this documentary. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I can't. I can't and, talk about him without bursting out laughing. 
Now, unfortunately for old Dennis Stamp, he's from the same place as Terry Funk. Yeah. So Terry Funk's the big man in the town. Like he's the guy who made it. Whereas <laughs> Dennis Stamp, he's he's like honestly, even if you don't want to watch his film, just go and look up it's, the Dennis Stamp. It's like an on American YouTube. Office or Parks and Rec's character snuck into this documentary. Like the way like, he behaves. They, they, yeah. Yeah, like the the, the, the the director goes up to him and says, basically, I can imagine says to him, "Show me your workout routine." Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So the first thing, the first thing you see of this man is him is doing is professional wrestler, former yeah. professional wrestler. His workout routine is to hold two tiny dumbbells, yeah, like six pounds, bouncing on a trampoline, <laughs> bouncing on a trampoline, saying, "I don't do any tricks." As he does this on the trampoline. Um, <laughs> And, 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 you know, very, very candidly saying, you know, that it, like, it gets to be that there's a longer time between bookings, so I need to stay in shape because I don't know when the next one's coming. It's like, I don't think the next one is cam- coming, Dennis, to be honest yeah. with you. Oh, or is it not? Because well, he, uh, he shows up at the stadium for Terry Funk's big finale, big retirement match, and uh, he hasn't been booked. Yeah, so he shows he up to up... tell him he's not coming, like the day before, yeah, because he he's not up, been yeah, booked. He, yeah. This is, this is a this is a documentary. This yeah. isn't like a, a fictional thing. He shows up to tell tell Terry Funk that he's not booked and he's not happy about it, but he'll not be coming. He'll yeah. not come because he's not booked. Terry Funk like basically it's like dealing with a three year old. Yeah, child. you've got to like, make concessions. Funk, yeah, he has to be like, come on, come on, you know, uh, you know, I'll let you referee some matches. And then when he's like, no, I'm not coming, I'm not coming. Yeah, and we, we start doing the like, I've already the, yeah. I've already made some plans, Terry. I've got a I've got a flight to catch. He hasn't got a flight to catch. There's no. <laughs> there's no way he's got a flight to catch. Yeah, and then Ter- Terry's like, well, I want you to referee yeah. the main please, event. Please and referee suit- me and Brett. <laughs> like- and he's it's like, literally like a, a little puppy turn around. Oh. Like, he's uh, like, the, the, yeah, the, like, and they get like, he, you know, immediately all those plans he was talking about are just dropped as he's like, oh, I'm going to referee the main event. And, and Dennis Stamp, God, I, <laughs> he is a, a breath of fresh air in this movie. He really is. It just... He is a farcical character, and I can't believe he's real. And then in the re- in the in the main event, like in the retirement match, you just see him there in his <laughs> skin tight referee. So, <laughs> yeah, so proud of himself. I there's something to be said. Like it, it's it's funny actually going through these movies. Like we'll get into depictions of old wrestlers as very depressing, and indeed there are some very depressing depictions of old wrestlers in this documentary. But Dennis Stamp is like clearly just. Barry Blaustein clearly saw him and was like I've got to get a lot of footage of this guy because he is an absolute joke and there's also like talking about other comedy characters I, I, did, I can't actually remember his name now but there's a guy who runs the wrestling school who is clearly a con man and like they is get, it they, Roland? I think it is Roland yeah and they keep basically they keep cutting between him saying something uh, that is clearly not true, and then his students contravening what he's just said. So, so one of like one of his young up and comers is like, oh, sometimes he just won't pay us. You know, he'll say you you don't you only get paid if he thinks you had a good match and deserve getting paid. Cut to Roland saying, oh, they're always paid, and they're and they're paid well. They're loving it. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> you absolute con man. And then they they take these two guys to have a tryout at WWE. And um, the only reason that's happening is because of this documentary. We like you know. Yeah, that, right? yeah, that, almost certainly. Because neither of these guys were ever, ever got a sniff of a WWE ring, even Mike Modest, who had a pretty good career, I think. Um, 
and and there's a, a moment of reflection for this Roland character as he begins to cry because uh, Mike Modest um, hasn't hasn't made it basically to the WWE, um, and he's basically saying, "Oh, the, for for someone like Mike Modest to not have a, a contract with the WWE is a travesty." And then without missing a beat, uh, Barry Blaustein, who's also the narrator, says. Um, that this this agent will take a forty percent cut of any contract that these guys sign for the WWE, like he absolutely knows he's just cutting yeah. straight through the bullshit. Um, yeah, it, it, this is a great movie. It's not as um, I suppose it's not. It doesn't have as much of a narrative kind of perfection as Wrestling with Shadows. Like Wrestling with Shadows is kind of like no. a it's like a lightning strike of a movie like there's like you could you could film you know a thousand documentaries and never capture anything as as unlikely to capture as that whereas this is a lot more kind of it's a, it's an ensemble you see a lot of interesting sides of a lot of different um interesting um interesting characters but um yeah i think mm-hmm. i'm trying to think if there's anything oh the, the one other thing i wanted to mention about it actually which i i'd forgotten was uh, Jim Ross, good old JR, when when they're show- when they're watching the two up and comers having their match, what's called a dark match. So before television starts, they just do it for the live yep. audience, um, and one of them doesn't move on the other. And JR, in the most deadpan way possible, that only only JR can can manage, is just like that's pretty spectacular, and like, just <laughs> just no enthusiasm for it whatsoever. <laughs> I just... Well, yeah, but then, but then Vince McMahon walks over, and then they, another one does another move, and, he, and he, Vince McMahon's like, Ooh, "Yeah, geez, yeah, we need a little work, work there." <laughs> like, yeah, just, like just almost like someone almost died. Openly criticizing them, yeah, it's 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 great. Um, and I, you do get to see in this um, kind of a couple of backstage segments for, for the for the Mick Foley stuff. Um, he, he's WWE champion, I think, at this point. Um, so you get to see like The Rock and Steve Austin wandering around, and it's it's, it's really funny seeing like The Rock before he's clearly had elocution lessons and kind of dropped his. I think he. I can't actually remember where The Rock grew up. I think it might have been Texas, but it's. I, I think it's somewhere in the South. So he's got quite a strong accent at this point. Um, before he adopted the accent he now has. Yeah, in my my mind went Memphis, but I think that's literally only just because he used to have mutton chops like Elvis. He did, yeah, that's true. It could easily be Memphis. Let's have a look. Where was I'm, he? I'm not exactly sure. I don't know where it was. I was born in California. I don't. Th- I feel like he was. It's not a Californian accent he had in this, but maybe I'm just making that up. Um, it, maybe. Oh, maybe he went to college in the south somewhere. Yeah, he went to. I think he went to Miami because I had a video oh, about. Oh well, no, he just he, he just must have been putting on a little bit of yeah, a twang. He, twang, he was yeah. he was in he was in like uh like Louisiana that in that on that night or something. Yeah, and he, he just, just put, had yeah, a little just put it on, draw. just put it on for that for that particular yeah. video I watched of his. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think that's good. That rounds us up for documentaries, both very good, and I think to be honest, both are almost impossible to get now so you kind of have to just watch them on youtube or whatever I ho- hopefully it's beyond the mat is currently on netflix in the uk oh is it i did not mm-hmm. know that okay I, I i watched my dvd of this but um yeah they, they uh i have the dvd of this too actually I, I i feel like someone should put a blu-ray release of both of these together but they're probably lost in licensing out um but we're going to move on now to movies based on real life i've only got the one for this because i don't know if there's yeah there is another one which I'll probably mention in this section, but it's not. I haven't seen it, and I have no interest in seeing it. Um, but, but this is this is a. I think you'd agree with me when I say this is like a shockingly high quality movie for WWE production. Not shockingly for me. Not shockingly for me, and I'll explain why okay. in a minute once you say. What well, it so is. this is 2019's uh, Fighting with My Family, written and directed by Stephen Merchant of of Office fame. Um, and and with a pretty killer cast, uh, you know Florence Pugh, Lena Headey, Nick Frost, Vince Vaughn, 
The gang's all here. Yeah, and it's it's a story of uh, a, a woman who, up until very recently, was a current WWE wrestler. Yeah. Um, called Paige uh, or uh, Soraya. Yeah. Yeah, Soraya. Soraya um, yeah. Knight. Um, and so she is from England, from Norwich, and she uh, basically was a re- from a wrestling family that eventually got a, a trial. Uh, now some drama in the film and it was also drama in real life it's it almost it, it, certain aspects of this film like Paige's story itself is very true for the most part yeah. for the most part yeah it's more the um, more the side characters that are just yeah, like the trappings are not as as realistic but her actual journey is seems to be pretty much what it was yeah. and um basically it tells the story of a of a of a young english english girl i think she was very early t- 20s if not I late she, teens, was, she was she, 18 when she was signed i think so yeah so really really young and she got signed to the wwe and it's about her going over and sort of making a name for herself um but unfortunately in real life now the um she suffered injuries to her neck and now she basically is, has to retire at the age of 26 or 7 yeah, or something like yeah. that um which you know based on the, the documentary we just talked about maybe that's a blessing in disguise <laughs> yeah, but yeah. uh <laughs> you know uh but 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 yeah so it's an interesting time this film came out is because it's sort of i think it started getting made before she had to retire yeah uh, think... but by the time it came out she was she was retired at the age of 26 yeah, or, seven so I, or whatever it is so i think when it came out she was still under contract but she'd been on the shelf with injury for a long time and people were kind of yeah. starting to to say oh, i don't think she's coming back from this yeah, exactly, and I think and I think that um, the Rock obviously was a main driving force to get this film made. Yeah, uh, because he 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 learnt of uh, Paige. I call it just I'm not going to go astray. It's called call Paige. That's a wrestling name. Yeah. So he learnt of Paige's story, and then um, very much just said said to her like, "We should make this needs to be a film." So um, I think it was he was the driving force behind it. Hence the yeah. couple of just you inserted know, himself into a narrative that he was absolutely nowhere near. Like, like they did that to get eyes on the film. To yeah, be honest yeah, with you, did. and he's not he's not unwelcome, but but definitely those moments where The Rock just turns up and starts doing his thing, just take you out of the, the narrative of the, of the story. Yeah, like the you know I can I could I could see someone who isn't a wrestling fan maybe going to see it because they know The Rock's going to be in it and then liking the story for that. But at the same time, I was going to watch it anyway, and I think that I've seen The Rock do his thing. I don't really need it. You know? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I don't, I don't think it adds that much. Like you say, I mean, it adds superstar name value. Although I've, you know, I've been very open about my feeling that The Rock is like one of the highest paid stars in Hollywood, and I don't understand why because he's never made a good movie, or you know, has made very few good movies. Um, this, welcome I guess to the Jungle it, wants a word. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Jungle's all right. Walking Tall's okay, and and this is um this 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 is good as well. But I mean, you know, he's really just a camp like a, a bit part player. In he's this. not in this film. Like he's he's not an actor in this film, even though he's top build. He's yeah, not, he's not <laughs> yeah. really in the. He's film. in like three uh, three scenes, two scenes, I think, and you know, one of them yeah, he just does exactly. a promo, basically, he just does a rock promo. Yeah, and I was just say the reason why I wasn't shocked this film was good is because I genuinely have a deep respect for Stephen Merchant. I think yeah. Stephen Merchant, is he was the, the heart in that Merchant-Gervais pairing yes. of The Office extras, <clears throat> Life's Too Short. Um, the stuff that Ricky Gervais has done since him and Stephen Merchant split, split up, because they have split up, and whenever they're asked about why they split up, they never comment on it, or they just say, oh, everything's okay, that. we just don't... They just don't do anything to, in, together anymore. I don't know why... 
it's you know I think I'd probably get annoyed working with Ricky. Ricky yeah, because Ricky Gervais too. is a cock. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but I know I I, gen- I genuinely like have a lot of faith in Stephen oh, Merchant absolutely. as a filmmaker. Yeah. You can tell so, he wrote so, this as well. Like it's so funny yeah. this. Um, and you know yeah. I, I think Stephen Merchant writing for the kind of Edgar Wright. Uh, style actors in the form of Nick Frost is is yeah. a match made in heaven as well. There's I I don't I don't like sort of talking about comedies by just picking out jokes, but there is one one particular joke where um, Zach um, Zach Zodiac uh, Paige's brother is uh, talking about his his fiance and and the soon to be mother of his child coming for dinner with um, and, and and her parents going for dinner, and he says that his dad played by Nick Frost needs to wear a shirt, and Nick Frost's delivery of who does he think he is the Archbishop of shitting kent like it's so funny um and and then the 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 subsequent scene where stephen merchant and i can't remember the actress's name but she she's been in loads of british comedy um turn up and the 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 the, the back and forth between those two and lena heady and nick frost is so good it's one of the funniest scenes of the whole movie yeah 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 um because they come in as as the parents to the brother's girlfriend yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. like talking to her about they're, they're talking to them about wrestling and you know trying to make an earnest effort to ask questions but clearly don't really know what to what to say and it's got that very i don't want to call it naturalistic because it isn't naturalistic but it kind of, it's kind of like pretend naturalistic where no one will say anything for a while and then Stephen merchant will do that do that thing where he goes oh did you want to did you want to say something <laughs> and then like, yeah. like, like he does it all the time yeah. and it's always funny uh <laughs> so, yeah. yeah it's it, it's a it, you can tell Stephen merchant wrote this because it is a very funny film yeah and it, like Stephen merchant's little cameo in it is very akin to like his cameo in uh what do you call it? That Takawaititi film. It's, it's literally the Nazi film. Just oh, out of, uh, oh out yeah, of, of course. Um, um, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I forgot the name of yeah. Jojo Rabbit. But basically, like his, like he comes in is one of the funniest yeah. parts of the whole film, and then isn't. Yeah. Then Turn up, be hilarious, leave. Like that's basically <laughs> Stephen yeah. Merchant's uh, modus operandi. But uh, yeah, he, he's. Fantastic. What I love about this. What I love about this. The perfect. Uh, thing about this film is is that the reason Stephen Merchant got involved, you just know it's because he was the to- he was he was in the Tooth Fairy. Oh, I didn't know he was in the Tooth Fairy. There he's, you go. he's in the Tooth Fairy. So apparently he's a fan. That's where I, him and the Rock meant. I I, I I think he is a like a fan. I'm not I'm not 100 on that, but I remember reading somewhere fan of wrestling. Yeah, I, that might be one of those bullshit things where like after they're hired to make the movie, they're like, oh, I've always been a fan of WWE, but I've definitely heard someone say it. Okay, I don't. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I just assume that he sort of got got his feet wet in the business to. It could uh, easily to sort be of write this as well. Um, but yeah, like the, the the film. The film is a really really nice portrayal of the character yeah. in particular. I like. I, I I do really like it. I was saying to Conrad before we before we uh, did this. I watched this film around when it came out, and it is only since then that I've seen like Little Women and stuff and know who Florence Pugh is. Yeah. And going back to talk about this film now, and I'm like. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, at the time, I didn't even realize it's, it's nuts that Florence Pugh, like twenty, I, I, yeah, we were saying beforehand that like twenty nineteen was like the year of Florence Pugh between this uh, Midsummer and um, and Little Women, and she was mm-hmm. just knocking out the park in everything she did, and it's kind of crazy in retrospect that she was in a WWE production movie, which you know they they are famous this time, yeah. for making trash movies basically i know i know you're a fan of knucklehead <laughs> like <laughs> oh, what's the one where uh, triple h like looks after a group of kids on a school bus oh. is it a chaperone 
Yeah, I think it Chef is the Ryan. Chef Ryan. <laughs> yeah, or the Marine Five starring Randy Orton, or the Miz, whichever one the Miz the is. Miz, yeah, <laughs> like, but that's the kind of or the Condemned Three starring I th- I, I, Mr. Kennedy is probably one of those. I don't know. What what, what I love about the Miz, right, is that if, if if you're a fan of reality TV in America, but you're not a fan of wrestling. Geez, you're gonna love the fact that the Miz is still about. <laughs> like, yeah, like he's he's still trucking. Old uh, the real Mike world. Mike the Miz Mizanin started off on the real world, I, and now he's like been in wrestling for fifteen. I years. hated him so much for so long, and like he's genuinely grown on me as like one of my favorite guys now. He's he's you know an example of working hard, can get like getting you, getting you to where you need to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think probably just to round off about this movie, the the, the two things I will say about it is there is some genuine craft to. Uh, like behind the camera, I don't know mm-hmm. that much about. I'm, I'm trying to think if I've seen much that Merchant has directed, um, apart from this. But there's some really nice shots, some really nice photography. Um, and although uh, the, I find it a bit odd that the narrative just kind of skips out the whole bit where like Paige won the NXT Women's Title, the first ever winner of the NXT yeah. Women's Title. Um, I, I think it still works quite well. Uh, narratively speaking, it still flows um, quite well. So, I mean, I, I think this is genuinely a really good movie. Like, I I would recommend this even if you don't particularly like wrestling. It's kind of, you know, an underdog sporting story, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. And I and I think that it'll be a while till we get another wrestling film, which is as good, you know? Yes, absolutely. I would agree with that. There is a long gap between wrestling films that are good. We'll just, you know. Yeah, well, I, and, and... There's and, maybe two ever made. Yeah, well, <laughs> a case in point, I had to go and look this one up because I only know, know about it because of the next film that we're going to talk about. Um, but there was a promoter in the 70s called Vern Gagne. I think he was a promoter for the AWA. Um, and he made a movie called The Wrestler uh, about himself at the end of his career he didn't play himself but he essentially played himself at the end of his career basically having to come to terms with his career ending um and i wanted to mention this in in the kind of real uh, or based on real life uh section just because it's funny that this movie exists i've never seen it i've heard it's terrible but that movie does exist and there is a solid 30 years between that and, <laughs> and fighting with my family so okay well i will i will say that there is another one coming out Oh, is there? It's been announced that there is going to be a Hulk Hogan biopic. Oh my god! Well, Chris co- Hemsworth is going to be playing him. What? <laughs> Chris Hemsworth. Chris... Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Chris, is he going to gain like a hundred pounds? Chris Hemsworth. I'd, Im- I'd imagine so. Yeah. I am not. Well, okay. We'll come back to Hulk Hogan in a second because I mean, we'll talk about him in this next movie. I've got a fun piece of trivia about this next movie that I'm going to talk about. Um, that is ridiculous, though. I'm glad that you. I don't know how they're going to navigate the Hulk Hogan thing, considering that uh, he had that whole. Yeah, they're going to get into the bit where he's a massive racist. <laughs> yeah, and then whenever, um, like, he's out of the business for like a year and a half or something after he was massively racist, and then he comes back, and everyone tries to and- pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> Well, he came back and gave a, gave a gave a, a talk to the locker room in <laughs> yeah. private. But then all the black wrestlers came out and said he didn't apologize for anything. He said just don't get caught. yeah, don't get caught saying racist shit and you'll be fine, guys. That's 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 Hulk Hogan's approach to the modern cancel yeah, so culture. Look, looking forward to that, that being covered in the film. I can't uh, believe Chris Hemsworth has agreed to do that. Um, well, okay, we'll cut. We'll circle back to that in a second then, because um, I'm going to shift us now into fictional movies um, with. Uh, I guess probably the most prestigious picture on this list, uh, which is uh, 2008's uh, The Wrestler, directed by Darren Aronofsky mm-hmm. and starring uh, Mickey Rourke. 
it's yeah. very similar, as we were saying before, to the story of like Jake the Snake Roberts. It follows a, a fictional yeah. wrestler called Randy the Ram, who was kind of a big deal in the 80s and is now kind of eking out a living working at like a convenience store and taking increasingly violent and disastrous bookings uh, at smaller and smaller venues as his career dwindles. Um, and essentially, at some point during the movie, he finds out that health issues are going to force him to retire and he must have a kind of reckoning with his own fate. Um, as a result mm-hmm. and um i don't know how you feel about this but i i i think a lot of wrestlers criticize this movie for being a just about as bleak as it can possibly be depiction of the career of an elderly wrestler but i i think it's a really good movie really good movie and what those wrestlers don't want to admit is really realistic movie too yeah i i think a lot of the wrestlers who criticized it are, like, are in like the kind of wwe legends program where you know they pay you know mick foley to show up uh like a couple of times a year and do a promo and, and whatever and that you know that's all well and good for mick foley but there's a lot of wrestlers who aren't at that level who this happens like, did they to. not watch beyond the mat like yeah. did they not watch beyond the mat like yeah they literally exist um an interesting uh thing about this film is um if you haven't seen this film but just check it out it is really good film just of its own note it's probably the the best quality uh film that has ever been about wrestling or will ever be about yeah wrestling. i would say like, so I can't really see. I, I, I can't really see it, it unless you know Hulk Hogan one might blow us away. But uh, <laughs> who knows? I mean, that, yeah, that'll that'll have to go in the fictional section though. Next time we do one of these, because there's there's no yeah. way that's going to be truthful. Yeah. So this this originally actually Darren Aronofsky was writing, um, and I'm a fan of Darren Aronofsky. There's certain things he's done which I'm not like that big a fan of, to be honest with you. But but I like this and I like Black Swan. And I originally when he was writing uh, this, um, it was originally a film that was about a wrestler and a ballerina uh, who were a couple. Oh, really? And then eventually it was too much. Uh, the two worlds of ballet and, and wrestling were too much for one film, so he <laughs> yeah. split it into Black, Black Swan and the wrestler. Is that tr- that's, um, that's a great piece of trivia. I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting, actually. Um, also, crazy to think about it, but it's another one where I just didn't know at the time who they were, but uh, Evan Rachel Wood being in this film... Is, is is fantastic I'm a, I, I assume if I remember correctly he, she plays his daughter yes um, and of course in Westworld which we're going to be covering on the After Dark podcast she is the main star of Westworld so that's really really cool yeah I'd, I'd not her. put two and two together actually but that is yeah obviously her um, just you know ten, 10 or so years on I guess um, yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some great little. I mean, that's more of a cameo, more than a cameo. But there, there are some great little bit parts in this. So I like seeing Peter Parker's uh, mum turning up as a stripper in this. Uh, Mar- Marissa Tomei. Oh, Mar- Marissa Tomei, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's a, um, I don't want to steal their joke, but there's another podcast I listen to that always rails about the fact that Marissa Tomei's stripper character in this is, is you know also getting a bit too old for her job and is kind of like oh you know the 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 young boys don't want me anymore they want the younger strippers and 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 they're they're very much rail against the fact that like have you seen marissa tomei and what most strippers look like because like she would she would do fine as a stripper i promise you um i don't want to be too chauvinistic on the on the on the podcast yeah i was gonna i was gonna say that's skirting a line but uh no listen like you you can live your life being comfortable that you've never visited a strip club all, all I'm thinking is, come on, like she, she's clearly telling the truth because she was so low on things that she went out with George and Seinfeld. So that is, yeah, that's like, a fair point. That she, she might have a point. <laughs> like only George is after her. 
Listen, George's got a great personality, alright? <laughs> yeah, no, he does not. No, he doesn't. He has a terrible personality. Um, so I, I said I'd talk about this. I'm going to talk about it now. Um, Hulk Hogan claimed that he was first offered the role of Randy the Ram in, <laughs> in this movie. Aronofsky disputes it, says that didn't happen. <laughs> like, so you, you decide. What world are we living in? Like, can you imagine? Mickey Rourke or Hulk, if Hulk Hogan. Hogan... If Hulk Hogan was in this film, it would be seen in, in the same light as Spike. Yeah, like this. You know what I mean? Have you seen like, Suburban Commando? Like this, is, like Hulk Hogan can't is not going to be in this movie. Like, was he even? What was that huge series of films? It was called The Untouchables or something? Where there was like, what was it called? Oh, like, um, a load of oh, action stars. What the hell were they called? The um, the ones with Sylvester Stallone in them. Yeah, they're, Expendables. They're so. The Expendables. Yeah. So there's like Jason Statham, Sylvester Stallone, all like basically Ronda Rousey. Eventually, every like action star or, or like action adjacent person was in these films. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, no place for him. No, no place for him. He was even in no, a movie. He with, he, I mean, I'll, I'll mention it now, just a brief mention. He was in a movie with Sylvester Stallone, so he had an in. He played um he played a wrestler in Rocky Three. Played the wrestler Thunderlip. That's true. In a in a <laughs> in a in a cross cross sport bout, uh, very much the McGregor versus Mayweather of its day in Rocky Three. Um, I think it, it does. It does. <laughs> uh, it, it is a peek into uh, Hulk Hogan's mind, though, where he watches this film. And then thought of making up a lie that he oh, was offered. It, he, you know he's I mean? just like a congenital liar, I think. Like, I, I, I think there's an interesting thing about the wrestling business where you kind of have to separate the people who play the characters from the characters themselves a lot of the time because, unfortunately, a lot of your favorite people are or favorite wrestlers, particularly from the '80s, are going to be absolute scumbags. And Hulk Hogan is top of the pile with an absolute mm-hmm. bullet. Like, he is a piece of shit and a liar. <laughs> and uh, and the fact that you know he thinks anyone will believe him when he says Darren Aronofsky offered him the role of this before Mickey Rourke. Even when Darren Aronofsky himself says that is not true, is just, it, yeah, it tells you a lot about, about Hulk Hogan as a uh, as a man. Um, yeah. But he's not the only wrestler who appears, or should I say doesn't appear in this movie. Uh, there's a great little scene uh, where Randy the Ram has a, uh, what is essentially like a hardcore death match with the real wrestler mm-hmm. Necro Butcher, uh, who is very soft spoken and it's great, great. He's he's the guy with like kind of big hair, who's kind of tall and overweight, doesn't look like a wrestler, yeah. and you know that's kind of his thing. He, he's not really a wrestler. He just puts staples in people's heads and stuff like that, which is not not really my style to be honest. But it, some people, yeah, yeah. But that that does exist, like you know that real real hardcore wrestling. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't actually realize that that guy was a real wrestler. Of course he would be. Like there, there's a couple of real wrestlers that appear. Yeah. None of the none of the huge names though, no. because obviously WWE was in no way affiliated with this. But they um, did. I think they did promote it because I vaguely remember Mickey Rourke was on Raw a couple of times, uh, Monday Night Raw. So well, you give them money, they'll do anything. That's true. Yeah. Um, I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger once was on Raw um, and hit Triple H with a chair, and I don't I don't remember what he was promoting, but it wasn't anything to do with wrestling. <laughs> he was just there and uh, and hit hit Triple H with a chair, which is which was good. Hugh fun. Jackman was on Raw one time. Hugh Jackman was uh, the Jackass. The, the, I actually really have fond memories of like the times when celebrities. No, I, I, I do not have fond memories of that. What was... Certain times I do actually. Certain times I do. What... I always wanted. Uh, I always really wanted um, Kane to light one on fire, but it didn't. It didn't ever happen. Could it not have been uh, Kevin Federline? Could could that not have been the one that he lit up? <laughs> 
Britney Spears is. He, what, he did show up. He did. He did, he did yeah, show up. Were, yeah, he hosted Raw. There I was mean, an episode with Kevin Federline. Yeah, I think yeah. he had a feud with John Cena, if I'm if I remember correctly. It was a f- oh yeah, fucking Hugh Jackman nightmare. though. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman was there. Whenever Real Steel came out, that was only about four years ago. Wrestling's dumb. This thing's a dumb thing. I regret this episode now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's The Wrestler. It's a really good movie. I don't want to spend too much longer on it than that. Um, that is, it is well worth seeing if you want to see some legitimate craft. And I think, Anthony, I'm going to let you talk about the plot of this next one because you've watched it uh, most recently. And I think we're going from a pretty high note to one of the lowest notes I've experienced in quite some time. What, what's the last movie we're going to talk about here, Anthony? Okay, so Connor, I want to prov- preface this by saying I hadn't seen this film until like yesterday, so yep. I, I fresh knew eyes. it existed. Fresh eyes on it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't know it was made in 2000. When you, I, All I knew was the title. All I knew, knew was the title. Okay. So I was assuming that this was an 80s film for some reason. I just assumed <laughs> wrestling film, it was probably made in the 80s, right? Yeah, sure. So I will say, while watching it, I was like... Now, I don't know how to approach this because is this a film that like Conrad watched when he was like 12... And actually really liked uh, when he was 12, so therefore he has nostalgia for, or is the is he going to recognize how t- truly terrible this is? Uh, <laughs> I think he does recognize that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, but... I'll, I'll preface like what you're saying here by saying, I watched this for the first time when I was about 14, and I hated it then, and boy do I hate it now. <laughs> so it's called Ready to Rumble. It came out in 2000, yep. directed by Brian Robbins. Yep. And basically... It's about two wrestling fans um, who are the biggest marks you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, now they are they're adults wrestling fans, but they still believe it's one hundred percent real. I you wouldn't this, know it to speak I, to I, them I, either. Yeah, sorry. You wouldn't know it to speak to them either. Like they they they're, they're adults in a sort of chronological sense, if not a any other sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they, they, they act like children. Yeah. Like hundred uh, percent, they act like children. Especially David Arquette. He is the biggest. I, I don't know how. How did they watch this movie? His performance <laughs> yeah. in this and think nailed it. That's our champion. Nailed it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, because if you didn't know, David Arquette actually was the WCW heavyweight champion in real life. Yeah. So, so those of you who've been listening to this podcast the whole way through will remember at the beginning when we were talking about wrestling with shadows, I said Bret Hart went to WCW, which doesn't exist anymore. This is part of the reason why, folks. Yeah, because they took this guy and they made him the champion. Um, now, okay, so basically the film is about these two wrestling fans who still 100% buy in that it's all real, yep. and therefore they support their their favorite, uh, the King, Jimmy <laughs> King, who I will say, uh, straight away, uh, played by Oliver Platt, by the way, yeah. I will say, most unrealistic thing about this, he's been undefeated his whole career, <laughs> yeah. and he's still loved by the fans. Yeah. Yeah, like they would have gotten so sick of him by this point if he's been like wrestling yeah. for twenty years and never lost. Like they were booing John Cena after like three yeah. years. All like the they, boys they, would hate they, him they... as well. Like the idea that anyone would be like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna come to this guy's defense." Like no, he, this guy's like the Hulk Hogan. He was putting keeping people down to keep himself on top. Yeah, so basically they took just like uh, the wrestler takes a lot of inspiration from Beyond the Mat. Um, Ready to Rumble takes a lot of inspiration from Wrestling with Shadows <laughs> because. Jimmy the King is screwed oh. out of the title. Yep. Um, and then the film is its very strange, Conrad. I don't, they're, they're skirting the line of sometimes talking about like like Jimmy the King will lean in and go, here, give me a suplex yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like they absolutely. show that it's not real. 
But then the film turns into him actually having to go and train for a match yep. to win the belt. Oh, hang on, hang on. Not just to win the belt, because people who don't like wrestling are going to watch this and think, what the fuck does he care about a belt for? Throw in a million dollars. Yeah, a million so bucks he's gotta, he's, <laughs> So he's going to win the belt and a million dollars, right? Yep. And he's going to actually, like, it's just not even mentioned again. Okay, so is this a wrestling match? Yeah, or is no. this just like, he has to, he has to beat up DDP in the ring, apparently, because that's, it just doesn't make, yeah, like, it's this really weird, like, balancing act it tries to strike between being like, oh, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, wrestling's, wrestling's all the show, and being like, oh, D- DDP, that son of a bitch, he's turned on him. <laughs> like, which yeah, one is it's, it? It's, it's 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 like an it's so strange it's like it's like an underdog story but it's not an underdog it's it, they, they turned it into an underdog story by taking like the main guy in wrestling and turning him into what's essentially an mma fighter yeah. right and he has to learn how to fight and he has to like train up but not only that it's like that sort of underdog sports film yeah well it's like it, it's, it's helping world. him get his groove back you know he was on top yeah. and then he then he you know suffers the defeat and they've got a you know, bring him back up to fighting, fighting form. But but he, but he suffers a defeat. Like he he may as well be be starting to train as as a ping pong player. Yeah. Like he's not yeah. he's not an MMA fighter. No. He's a he's a you know <laughs> like Oliver Platt as well. He I I will say for him he's one of the funniest things about this movie, which is not saying much. But you know he is pretty funny. But fuck me, like in a movie that has like Goldberg in it, and you look at Goldberg next to Oliver Platt, and it's like, did you do any yeah. exercise for this movie? <laughs> Oliver, like, he wears like a full body chainmail suit, or not chainmail, it's like studded leather or something, and it's pretty obvious why because he is clearly not in wrestler physique kind yeah, of shape. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so they, they, they went, like the costume, it was alright, but only for like, if he took it off after the entrance, potentially. But, okay, so, if you want to watch a underdog sports film where he rises up and wins go watch warrior go watch uh rocky yeah D- don't watch this if you want to watch sort of like a little a slightly off the wall comedy around the 2000 era go watch joe dirt yeah go watch basketball don't watch this yeah i mean this is essentially you know, so it's not winning in anything it does. no like this is essentially someone saw um like american pie and thought let's do an american pie tie-in with wrestling and it's got you know the pop punk soundtrack it's got like lit's my own worst enemy in it um but um that like the wrestling kind of replaces the the the, the sex jokes but it's just about it's not i mean american pie isn't one of my favorite movies by any stretch but i mean it's competent at what it's trying to do this is fucking trash um the only thing that i think this movie is notable for is like the wrestlers that we see in it so we get to see like a maskless Rey mysterio jr which is good fun yeah yeah um we get to see sting yeah sting turns up which is which is great um (laughs) and punches a man for implying that another man might love him which is a sign of a sign of the times for sure that you could like get get away with a good guy doing that in in your movie i will also say that it it did like sting had the issue that he in this film that he had in his own career is that this man who's standing in this black and white makeup and he looks so fearsome and then he opens his mouth and he sounds like a puppy, puppy <laughs> yeah, yeah they just don't let him speak for most of the time yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know they make they make the bold choice of giving bill goldberg quite a few lines which uh it doesn't really pay off but i mean well he, he eventually went on to star in that one with uh adam sandler yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. He did. He, you know, he he did do a bit of acting, but he's not the most charismatic of guys. He's better when he's just like no. being quiet and destroying guys. Um, but he does love his son. So we talked about he does love his son. That's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not as much as Titus kiss my son on the lips, O'Neill. <laughs> like... Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, guys, just to say, 
if you not don't know really know much about Bill Goldberg, I just want to put it there. I am not implying anything nefarious with him and his son there. He just really does love his son, and he just like he gets him in the ring with him. Always talking about how much he loves his son. Yeah, like that's 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 all. It's just a bit of a yeah. Titus O'Neil does kiss his son on the lips though, which uh, I'm not a fan of. Not a fan of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's the same. Same with uh, what do you call him? I kind of just I forgot. That's the second thing I've forgotten today. I'm trying to think who you're talking about. Oh, Super um, Bowl. Uh, uh, not Scott Payton. What is his name? Uh, the guy for the who was the Patriots. The best football player of all time. That guy. Yeah, we, we you know what? Listener, you know who we're talking about. The guy was on the Patriots and then went to the Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Yeah, that and guy. then he, and he kisses his son on the lips for far too long. Yeah, in front of cameras. That guy. Yeah, the the guy's a bit of a dick. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, totally just totally aside from the fact that he kisses his son on the lips he's also a bit of a dick that guy yeah Titus O'Neil does that I don't know what's up with that I don't agree with it hey talking about things that I don't understand what's up with Joe Pantoliano in this in this movie <laughs> he plays the bad guy who screws uh, uh, Jimmy King out of his match in the beginning and I feel like he's supposed to be Native American which um like he's wearing kind of like what looks like a native jacket and has what looks like he's a... not made of American. He's just wearing the native jacket. But he's got like Tom kind of Brady like a native. Is name. Tom Brady's his name, by Tom the way. Brady. Before you comment, you we know. I looked it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's wearing a native American jacket. He's he's the owner of WCW. That's, yeah, that's not um, true. W... <laughs> WCW, I think, were involved in making this film. Oh yeah, they were. So they, they don't really paint. They don't really paint their management. In, in a good no, no, I find it really funny that Vince Russo, as this was going on, was booking David Arquette to win their world t- title, and somehow that makes him look worse than Joe Pantoliano's character does in this in this movie. Listen, listen, he's this this film is for the most part actually trying, not necessarily trying to be realistic, but there's nothing that sort of goes beyond the pale and becomes like, oh my god, what the hell is going on to the point where it's like fantasy. No. But I will say, uh. What's Joe Pantoliano? Yeah, yeah. He's he's. There's a moment where he's got Sting, and he's like saying to Sting, "He's not getting that belt. You need to you need to basically stop him. Like Sting's the wild card. You're gonna stop him winning, right?" And then he just turns. He's walking out of the room. He turns around. Now this is owner of a big publicly traded company. He turns around and goes, "And if you don't, I'm gonna kill you." That came out of nowhere, that line. It's like, we have seen nothing to indicate that he has the capability to kill a man. And then he just threatens to kill, like, Sting for some reason. As if he's a Bond villain. Yeah. Like, what's going cool? on? I, I feel like it might... Yeah, there's a lot of questions I have about Joe Pantoliano in this movie. I, like, is he an Italian playing a native? Like, going back to the dark old days of spaghetti westerns. What are his motivations? Like, why, why is DDP in a stable with... Hold on now. Sid Vicious, Kurt Hennig, Perry Saturn, Bam Bam Bigelow, Six Pack, Conan, and Prince Iakea. That just does that stable is just like that doesn't make any sense. Um, and and the thing like I will say, this movie is absolute trash. They almost made me enjoy a bit though. The ending made me laugh out loud when uh, I won't spoil what happens, listeners. Don't worry if you're going to go off and watch Ready to Rumble. Like the, the we won't we won't spoil who wins, but um. In a, in a climactic moment, the team of Booker T, Goldberg, Billy Kidman, and Disco Inferno, and Gordy, one of David Arquette's character dressed, dressed as a cop, show up while Kid Rock's Barwitadar Bar is playing in the background. It, it's one of the most two tha- year 2000 ass moments in a film I've ever seen. I was like, this you could take this scene, put it in a time capsule, fire it into space, and like just say to aliens, this is what humanity was doing 21 years ago, because it perfectly encapsulates all the terribleness of the year 2000, as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, there's one or two things I want to say before we go here, though. Go on. What, first thing is, one of the aunties from Sabrina's in it. That's true. Uh, yeah, she plays Jimmy King's uh, baby mama. Yeah, so she's in it. Um, also, when his, when his son turns up, what the hell is going That's, on? I don't... That was an unexplored uh, plot line that I could have just as well done without, to be, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? He just he but, beats his so, son. His son betrays him by <laughs> in, uh, just completely without any explanation. Turn like his son betrays him. Jimmy King beats him up, and then it's not mentioned again. So it's just like, well, okay, that was a good plot line, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and also like this uh, the phone call. Like who called who there oh. to get the son involved? Like, it's so strange. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so also the Shermanator from American oh, yeah. Pie does show Great. up. Uh, he goes onto he goes onto a uh, a website. It's called Hacker World yep. or something like that, <laughs> and he's literally got on a website about hacking. His so career, or his career trajectory, already on the downward slope by the year two thousand. The Shermanator, <laughs> like yeah, he'd done exactly. American Pie, well, it would never get better than that. Exactly. But the last thing I want to say is actually qu- quite a positive thing about the film. Oh, right? yeah. It's po- well, it's not quite positive. It's it's a little bit positive. So I thought at the beginning, right, whenever they're going through the drive-through, and um, what do you call it? Scott Kahn's character, Sean Dawkins, he's sure. like, he's yelling through the fast food window, being like, uh, "Hey, Brittany," you know, and there's this blonde, good-looking woman. He's like, "Hey, Brittany," and he's like, really trying to like try it on with her, and she's just like, "Fuck off, you idiot!" <laughs> and she like, ha- she hates yeah. him, and uh, and she's like, you know, oh, you're such a you're such a you're such a dickhead and stuff. Like, she absolutely hates him, right? Um, and then, like, after they get the food, right, Gordy goes, ah, it's not really working with Brittany, is it? is it? And then he's like, he's like, it will, man. She's, she, you know, she, she's, she's my girl or whatever. He's like, she's the one or whatever, right? And I just thought to myself, see if he ends up with Brittany at the end of this film. Like, no means no, man. Like, she said yeah, no she to clearly you. doesn't like you. Yeah, and I was just like, please, like, I, I this film was made in two thousand, so I could see it ending yeah. up with him with Britney. Yeah. Um. Uh, but no, he doesn't end up with Britney, and I was just like, okay. No, they, right. they parachute um, and he, and he, in and his heart, a nerdy character for him to get. Yeah, his heart actually, he's, he moves to to a different woman. Um. And I and I really like that because I'm just like, oh, just because I was relieved he didn't end up with Britney. Like, let's yeah. be honest. Um, I think my only positive about this movie is that Rose McGowan is in it and I quite like her as an actress although apparently she hated every minute of making this movie and has never seen it <laughs> so I can I, I you know I, I don't I don't blame her <laughs> she's basically she's 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 unfortunately filling the role that female uh, wrestlers filled at that time yeah, just eye candy uh, basically. in the wrestling world literally just eye candy to the point where they didn't even cast her as a female wrestler she was literally just a cheerleader yeah, for the wrestlers she was one of the Nitro girls which yeah t- tells you all you need to know about this film's attitude towards women um, and yep. you would do well to never watch it um, yeah. <laughs> cool okay well I mean I think that's a pretty encyclopedic look at wrestling movies yeah. throughout the ages. If you weren't a wrestling fan before, uh, you're welcome. Welcome to the fan club. I'm sure you are now. Um, if if you're if you like were a wrestling fan before, I, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. I guess. Um, yeah. And that that really just leaves us with one simple question to answer, as we always do. Um, Anthony, what is your favourite movie this week? Uh, beyond the map. Okay, it's a good shout. Uh, mine is Predator because Jesse the Body Venture is in that movie. <laughs> and I'm, I'm cheating. Um, we are not doing... I was going to say Spider-Man 1. but Oh, we didn't mention Spider-Man 1. Bone size, really! <laughs> yeah. 
He also he also he also appears he does, in He turns up in like a dream <laughs> sequence because they can only get him for one day, and they're like, "Shit, we haven't got Hogan, we haven't got Nash, we haven't got Hall. We got to get Macho Man in there somewhere." <laughs> So he turns up in yeah. a dream sequence, never in the film again. Um, yeah. we, you, you'll be grateful to know that we're not doing a themed episode next week. We're back to Movie Diaries, so please look out for that. Um, and all that's left for us to say, really, is thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song. You can find links to their stuff down in the description below. Thank you to you for uh, listening. Please uh, give the show a like, subscribe to us on uh, Culture Cable on YouTube, best movie podcast ever um, on podcasting apps, if that is your preferred method of consumption. And we will see you same time, same place, next week. Ding, ding, ding!